Welcome to another episode of Good Value by Antipodes. You couldn't have missed the publicity that surrounded the sharp sell-off in Meta, the parent company of Facebook and Instagram, earlier this year. Social media giant Facebook experienced its biggest drop in US stock market history overnight. Chief Executive Mark Zuckerberg had warned investors in a call earlier that Meta expected first quarter revenues to decline. This is a massive move for a very large company, very large cap stock. Is it overdone? Now, three months on, we thought we'd take a step back and gain a full picture of the current dynamics in the competitive digital advertising landscape and how Meta is positioned. Antipodes has owned Meta since the end of 2018, and despite the recent volatility, the company remains one of our top 20 holdings. Our thesis is that even though competition for eyeballs is increasing and will continue to increase, the digital advertising pie is growing, and Meta can continue to dominate advertising revenue over our investment horizon. And there are opportunities to increase the monetization rate of core Facebook and Instagram. To discuss this further and to give us his expert view on the digital advertising industry, we welcome a former Google COO and highly respected digital advertising industry expert, Ben Legg, to the podcast. Ben, thanks for your time. It's good to be here. Thank you. Now, you have one of the most interesting CVs I've come across. Uh, 10 years in the British Army, captain of the Royal Engineers, where in your own words, you had the opportunity to blow up a lot of stuff, which I think sounds fantastic. <laughs> I did build some stuff too, but yes, blowing up was more fun. Yeah. Uh, and then from there, you went into the corporate world and became one of Google's top global executives. And now you run your own multinational digital advertising business. How does one go from the military to digital advertising? Well, it was it was there are a few more steps which probably helped along the way. So so I am an engineer, which which helps. I went from the army to McKinsey. Um, so as a strategy consultant, and although uh, McKinsey generally prefers people with MBAs, which I didn't have, I was an engineer. So I was kind of a structured numerical thinker. So then McKinsey as a strategy consultant was a good way to learn about business, uh, etc. So that was kind of like my paid MBA. Um, which is great. From there, I went to Coca-Cola, did various sales and marketing jobs around the world, ended up as number two in India, running a big turnaround. Uh, and probably the big question you're asking is, how did I get from there to Google? Uh, and it's kind of a, a, a fun story, really. I was literally, I was lying by my swimming pool in Delhi, minding my own business one Sunday and got a phone call from Google. Do you want to work for Google in, in, in London? I said, why me? I'm selling fizzy drinks in India. <laughs> and they said, uh, right, what, what was happening at Google is, there was chaos. Even though they had a few billion in revenue, a few thousand employees, uh, the engineers thought everyone in Europe was stupid. The people in Europe thought the engineers were stupid. There was no plan, chaos everywhere, etc. And even though search was kind of selling itself, everything else was failing. And so they basically wanted someone to write the plan, build the bridges, etc. And they said, right, we need someone who is A, an ex-strategy consultant, because Google didn't have a strategy how to make money. Be an engineer, so, so, but an engineer sitting on the business side of Google and therefore could kind of build that bridge with, with the engineers in Mountain View. C has done senior sales or marketing jobs in, because that was the main thing we had to do in Europe was build a professional sales and marketing organization. And D, ideally ex-military to kick some butt. <laughs> in the whole world, in the whole world, they found one person, and that was me in India. And they told me that story, and I happened to be going back to London a few weeks later. So I went in for interviews and got the job. <laughs> just absolutely fantastic. Let's talk about your work today. 
For many of us, digital advertising is confusing and really somewhat opaque. So how do you help brands go about allocating their online advertising budgets? Yeah, but it's confusing for everyone, including CMOs. So this is not one that anyone should feel ashamed of saying, I don't understand because it's complicated. So I typically starts with, you know, what are your marketing goals? Because, you know, you've you got to start from the beginning. And, and although loads has changed in marketing, the marketing funnel still makes a lot of sense. Are you trying to raise awareness that your product exists? Are you trying to build your brand and purchase intent? Are you trying to get people to try something uh, you know, it, 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 maybe it's a free trial, a free subscription, a, a one-off purchase. I try to get people to upsell, cross-sell, become loyal, tell a friend, etc. So you definitely work through that. And then you say, so who's the demographic? What media do they consume? Uh, which ads would work? And then you start getting into kind of media allocation. So you know, if you've got, if you want to say to target teenagers in early 20s, Snapchat and TikTok and Instagram would be great. If you want to target middle-class mums, it's Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest. Uh, I, I'm being simplistic, but you get where I'm coming from. But it, and there's a bit by category too. You know, if you're selling fashion, then you know, Instagram you know, is probably the best place. Uh, if you're selling furniture, Pinterest is the best place. Most people are on Google if they're selling something, Google search. It, uh, whereas for YouTube, typically you want to have a pretty high quality video, which costs money. So typically YouTube advertisers are larger. So it, it's, it starts with the, with the marketing goals. You f then flow into demographic. You then start trying to work out what's the best fit with your, that combination of marketing goals and demographic. And within that context, though, as you mentioned, with, when you're targeting a certain demographic, uh, you know, mm. they, there could be a variety of platforms you can pick uh, that are suitable for that certain demographic. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not sure. Are there any sort of key variables you look for when, you, when you're splitting that budget or, or, or once you've sort of decided those three yeah. are suitable for me, how do I split my budget from there? Yeah. Well, simplistically, Facebook and Google search get everyone's budget because they are they have every demographic and they are big. So mm -hmm. so scale also matters because one thing in marketing is there's always a um, a trade off of OPEX versus ad spend. So, you know, to run a really good campaign can often take a full time employee, a full time employee might cost you five or ten grand a month, depending on their skills. So if you're going to spend five or 10 grand on media, do you really want to spend five or 10 grand on OPEX? The answer is probably no. So because Google and Facebook have such massive volume, uh, they nearly always get the first start. And then for advertisers beyond that, it's really how many more platforms do I want to be on? Um, and in some cases with small businesses, the answer is typically none because it's too complicated. As companies get bigger, they start adding more platforms. And that's where you say, if, you know, if, if your target is, teens and early 20s, it would be the Snap, the TikToks of the world. If it is you know, middle class moms or people like organizing stuff, it's Pinterest. Uh, if it's you know, people who are thoughtful and love the news, it's Twitter. Um, yeah, if you want to get out onto the open web because you've got lots of, you, know, you want to target hobby sites or whatever, you might go to one of the display networks, etc. Now, we all know competition is increasing in the digital platform space and you just rattled off a whole lot of For names sure. just then without yeah. even really yeah. thinking about it. Can you give us a broad overview of the competitive landscape, but from a digital advertising perspective yeah. and how you see the key players positioned in the market today? Sure. So, so the first thing to say is, even though this is going to be a rough year and let's, let's <laughs> sort of not, not sugarcoat that, over time, the first thing is that digital advertising will grow as a percentage of GDP. For 
two reasons. One is pretty obvious, which is anything that's non-digital is pretty much becoming digital. So there's still a lot of linear TV budget, you know, ads linked to watching TV at a fixed time of day, which apart from kind of news and, and live sport will pretty much die because all other programs, films, etc., can be watched at any time, streaming, etc. So there's a lot of money to move out of that. But probably even more interesting, which many people may not have thought of, is that uh, advertising as a percentage of GDP is going to go up. Um, it's also going to blur with retail, which is also another interesting one. But in essence, if you take the world 20 years ago, you know, pre-internet when the internet was very young, and then and then think about you know in 10 years' time, in, you know, 20 years ago, what did it take to sell stuff? The primary thing you needed was distribution. You need to get your products into stores, and that had a ton of cost. You know, there's the store itself, there's the utilities, there's the staff, there, there, there's distribution, there's the write-offs. If, if you're in fashion, you have to write a bunch of stuff off or have a sale every quarter. It goes on and on and on and on. The, the costs are enormous. In a world where most stuff is bought online, um, yeah, even if there's some distribution because there's a, it's a physical product, but let's face it, a lot of products are digital these days, so there's no cost of distribution. Um, all those other costs go away. And what's happening is marketers, rather than just saying, woohoo, I don't need distribution, are saying, oops, I, now I need to raise awareness in different ways and distribution in different ways. And it's primarily marketing. And so a massive chunk of the P&L of companies is moving from sales and operations into marketing. Now, before people get overexcited, I think it's all about ad spend. It's ad spend plus tech plus data, etc. So it's, it's, it's the stuff that makes things sell now. Now. No one, to my knowledge, has done that calculation really, really well. But for the last few decades, digital advertising has been about 1.5% of GDP. I'd be pretty confident saying in a decade or two, it will be at least 3% and maybe more. Because if you just look at all the savings coming from sales, OPEX, distribution, shops, etc., it's way more than that. But also, if you look at the pure digital companies and say what percentage of their revenue do they spend on marketing, they're typically between 10 and 30%. Whereas old school companies might only spend between three and 10% of their revenue on marketing. So that might suggest a tripling, but I feel like not all the money will flow into, mar into marketing. Some will be tech or data or something else. So that's the kind of real macro is, is this is a good long-term bet. At least it, as long as you pick the winners within it, but as an industry, this is a good long-term bet. Well, it is. In terms of picking the winners, I think that's probably where yeah. we, want to, we want to turn the conversation. Um, yeah. Look, there is, and there are a number of platforms, but there is no doubt that TikTok really is the big new player that has emerged in recent years. Mm -hmm. So let's spend a little bit more time on the rise of TikTok. Yeah. You know, we know um, from the data that it's taking share of time spent. Mm -hmm. But how is this translating into share of advertising budgets? Yeah, it's relatively small, albeit growing fast. So if I give you our own data, just to kind of give you a sense, and uh, and our data, by the way, you know, caveats and context always matter. Uh, we don't do any non-digital, uh, and I actually take search out of my data because it's a bit more sporadic for us. So effectively, my data set is all social, all video, and all uh, display. Um, now, within that bucket, uh, if I go with um, market share, um, if I go back, let's say, to Q1 a year ago, uh, TikTok was 1.7% of our spend. In Q1 of this year, it was 3.7%, so basically more than doubling in a year. 
Uh, and by Q1 of next year, we're currently forecasting 5.5%. So yeah, that's you know, effectively more than tripling market share uh, in two years. I mean, I think that might surprise many listeners in that I, I just thought it might even be higher than that, just given the popularity of, of it as a platform. Give us a bit of a sense of um, where, the, I think you mentioned it earlier, but where is the bulk of it still going? Yeah, the bulk of it's still going to Facebook. Um, if you Again, if you talk of that world of you know, social video and display. So for us, um, if I just give you know, Q1 of, of uh, this year, it was um, uh, Facebook was 59% of our spend. Um, so it's still getting more than all the rest put together by, by a significant way. After that for us came YouTube. Uh, and then Snapchat, um, Twitter, Pinterest, and TikTok in that order. So TikTok is still whatever that is, number six, but clearly growing fast. And by the end of the year, if our forecasts are accurate, it might be in the number four position, but it would still be behind uh, Facebook, YouTube, and Snap. And do you see Facebook maintaining its positioning or losing share? It's a good question. It's been gently losing share for a while as these other platforms have got their act together. Um, so, for example, if I go back to, let's stick to the Q1s, given that we're doing it, let's say Q1 2019, uh, Facebook for us was 64%, and I say Q1 of this year is you know 59 So it's lost five points. So it hasn't been crazy, but it has been losing, mainly because there's just more choice. I mean, the world, this world used to be effectively Facebook, YouTube, and, and Twitter, and then suddenly along came Snap and Pinterest and TikTok, et cetera. So they had to make a bit of room. So why do you think Facebook still commands such a large proportion of that spend? Yeah, because it does everything right, quite frankly, except for PR, where they normally have their foot in their mouth. But, but in terms of building an ads business, so first of all, they've got scale. And, and scale really matters. When advertisers saying, where do I spend my money? Yeah, you don't really want to spend too much money on a small platform, you know, because it's just a lot of work for not much ROI. So that's number one. Um, but then if you think about there's a playbook for doing ad tech well. Uh, and there's the, the playbook that got us to where we are. And then there's new things going forward. And we should probably talk about that too. But the playbook is, first of all, you want a great array of ad units. You want to think through what are all the marketing goals and can I have an ad format for each one? So the obvious ones will be you need a mobile app install um, you know, ad because people want to do mobile app install. You want something that drives conversions. So something that drives a click to a website, but then also you can monitor it for a conversion. You want things that drive store visits because some people want store visits. Uh, you want subscribers. Uh, you want retargeting. And I won't go on, but there's like 15 or 20 marketing goals where you say, I need an ad format that helps marketers achieve that. So that's number one. Facebook's got lots of ticks. There's, you know, there's always room for improvement, but they they are always at the forefront and typically a year or two ahead of anyone else. The second thing is targeting. You've got to have amazing targeting. Um, and you know, targeting starts off with the basics of demographics. What are people's age, sex, marital status, number of kids, household income, etc. But then it goes way beyond that to say, um, you know, and then another table stakes one would be um, allowing advertisers to take a list out of their own CRM database and upload it. Yeah, that's table stakes these days. So they're the two table stakes, good demographics and, and custom audience targeting is called when you upload the list. But then you say, well, can you do lookalike targeting? That's a really powerful one in which you say, you upload a list of, let's say your most valuable customers and say to Facebook, don't serve these people an ad, 
work out what they have in common, find more people like that and serve them an ad. Uh, Facebook's the only company that's really cracked that properly. Um, it sounds like it's a hard problem. And then the final one is doing clever retargeting. So there's obvious basic retargeting, like someone visits your site, you retarget them. What Facebook's doing is some clever stuff like looking at all the stuff we're being retargeted with and then adding it to our purchase intent and letting all advertisers benefit. So for example, if I go to a furniture store and look at bunk beds and I don't buy them, uh, that company will retarget me with an ad for bunk beds. But it's not just them. Facebook adds bunk beds to my purchase intent and then anyone else selling bunk beds can target me. That's pretty cool stuff. So they're just real cutting edge on that. So that's num number one, ad formats. Number two, targeting. Number three is the platform itself. You've got to have a platform that's easy to use, but also what's tricky in ad tech is it's got to be easy to use for, uh, and it's got to be, have all the powerful stuff you need for large advertisers like Amazon, who want 58,000 dials and whistles and what have you to do everything. But you also need something that works for small businesses. And Facebook's done both and done both very well. And then the, the final thing in, 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 that Facebook's done well and better than others is they've built an ecosystem of companies that are partners and understand Facebook and love Facebook and effectively amplify Facebook. So if you look at all the agencies and partners that Facebook works with around the world, I've lost track of how many they are, but there's probably way over a thousand. Between them, they probably employ over a hundred thousand people and they effectively are behaving like they work for Facebook, even though they're not on the payroll, which effectively means you've got a, the whole advertising ecosystem knows and loves Facebook and chooses Facebook first. So you add up those four things. None of the other companies have come close to those. Mm. I mean, how do you see, given given the role, the business that you do, what insights do you have in terms of how TikTok's platform, uh, advertising platform, is mm. is evolving so that perhaps it can be a uh, a tougher competitor? Yeah, so so it, it's definitely getting better, I and mean, they've hired some really smart people. So. Yeah, I know lots of people in the industry and most of the people I know who've gone to TikTok are from Facebook or Snapchat or, or actually Adpala, my own company. They're mega smart, hardworking. Then they seem to have brought up some great people from China and China's got some different ways of doing things that are kind of interesting, especially around commerce. So I think they've got an amazing team, probably a really hardworking, smart culture. So it will get better, but it's not there yet. So, so basically, yeah, TikTok has built a great array of performance ad units. Um, so there's three or four performance ad units, you know, things like live commerce you can do now on TikTok, uh, etc. Uh, but so, so in that case, they're making quite good progress. When it comes to targeting, their targeting is a lot weaker. And if you think about it, when people are on TikTok, they don't really tell TikTok much about themselves. They pretty much turn up and start, you know, spinning through videos. Uh, and so TikTok doesn't, whereas with Facebook, you know, you tell stuff with Facebook stuff about yourself. You know, you post pictures with your kids, then they know how many kids you got. You, you post pictures from vacation, then they know where you went on vacation. Uh, you also click on a lot of ads or browse them. And so they know that with TikTok doesn't have that data. So they can license some third party data, but it's not as good as Facebook's. And they haven't built the sophisticated targeting I talked about with Facebook, like clever retargeting and, and, and lookalikes, etc. Now, it's all very well to have performance ads, but performance ads with mediocre targeting doesn't, generally doesn't lead to a decent ROI. Um, and there's a general rule in, in, in advertising that performance ads typically generate at least twice the CPM of branding ads. And so if you really want to monetize a site, you need to have great performance ads. That requires both the ads and the targeting. So they're not there yet. Then in terms of the platform, the platform 
I'd, it's not bad. I'd give it like a six out of 10, but Facebook's a nine. But, you know, for a two-year-old ads business, you know, six out of 10 is quite good and it keeps getting better. Um, but I, my, all my instincts say it's not that well adopted for small businesses yet. That's not my area of expertise, but I know about 25 small businesses at the moment. None of them are advertising on TikTok. So it does seem to be a big company thing. And if you think about what Facebook's done well, along with Google, is they've built an amazing long tail of advertisers with millions of small businesses which brings in a lot of extra money and auction pressure, et cetera. TikTok's not there yet, and it might take a few years to get there. Um, and then the final one is ecosystem. TikTok's just new. So yes, they're hiring good people, but they don't have the kind of depth or coverage of relationships with advertisers and agencies and partners that Facebook has by any way, shape or form. So you know, there aren't as many TikTok advocates out there who, you know, if you went to a typical ads team, a marketing team or an agency and said, who feels like they're an expert on TikTok? You might get one hand go up. If you went to the same team and said, who feels like they're an expert on Facebook? Probably all the hands would go up. So it's definitely further behind in terms of understanding and enthusiasm in those marketing mm -hmm. teams. Look, there's no doubt that rising competition, you know, broadly and, you know, specifically from TikTok uh, is on investors' minds and it has weighed on Facebook's share price. And look, some of the recent data that I've seen suggests that in the US, TikTok time spent is around 135 minutes per daily active user. Uh, and that compares to Facebook, Facebook and Instagram combined at 85 minutes, uh, YouTube at around 75 minutes. But we are still seeing small growth in total time spent on Facebook, despite, you know, the market yeah. narrative that exists out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and actually stronger time spent on, on Instagram. So... On our numbers, you know, we certainly think that the, the valuation of Facebook does look attractive. It's on around 13 times earnings, you know, 10 times those earnings when you exclude the loss making um, spent on the metaverse. And we think those earnings can grow around 15% per annum. But <laughs> Facebook properties need to maintain user engagement and arguably ad prices need to continue to rise over time. So can you give us a sense of what advertising on Facebook costs today and how you think that changes over the next few years yeah so um there's two parts to that the answer one is around pricing which by the way i'm very bullish on pricing over the long term but the other is uh the the, the tiktok battle i might take a step back and do the tiktok battle first because as you've probably i'm curious when that data came from for usage because i think facebook is fighting back really aggressively and i'd be curious what the latest data is so since January, you know, whether you're on Instagram or Facebook, in the newsfeed or stories, Facebook's been ramming reels down all of our throats. You know, try reels, try reels, try reels. And then about two or three weeks ago, they added a reels button at the top of the app. So when you open it, you can go straight to reels. Uh, and I believe someone, it might have been Zuckerberg or someone else said, you know, 20% of usage on Instagram is now reels. Now, if you look at what Facebook's doing, they're trying to get their users to form a reels habit so they don't need a TikTok habit. And they did this with stories to fight off Snapchat, yes. if you remember, four or five mm -hmm. years ago, it was exactly the same thing. Personally, I believe it's working. doesn't mean they've totally stopped the migration straight away, probably not, but within another few months, could they? Uh, I think they could. Could I actually have a, a, a panel of, um, of users who are um, university students and young professionals. It's actually run by my daughter. It's quite cool. Um, but I get their usage by app, uh, by time of day. I get you know, what ads they're seeing, all sorts, every month. In, it's only 10 people, so don't extrapolate this too far, but in the past month, two of them have stopped using TikTok 
because they said, A, it's too distracting and bad for their studies, and B, they can get everything they need on Instagram. Um, so although that's just a small sample, I do think that combination of Facebook's aggressive push of reels and those little anecdotal stories might suggest that Facebook will hold on to their users. And then the next question, which is harder to answer is, will this create an incremental growth for time spent on Facebook or Instagram? Because that stuff's addictive. <laughs> yeah, just like it was addictive on TikTok, Reels is a pretty similar experience. So will people add a few more minutes a day? And it might only be say 10 or 20% of Instagram users form a Reels habit. But yeah, again, there could be some usage opportunities there, or upside there. So that's the, the first one is I think that that could be working. Now, by the way, in the short term, that hurts revenue. So Reels doesn't monetize very well at all. So if you're pushing people for the newsfeed that makes a ton of money, into reels that doesn't make much money because it's a very light ad load, etc. Short term, you're sort of shooting yourself in the foot in order to, you know, um, to keep mm. your audience. But over time, it's an audience. You mm, can monetize right. it. Yeah, it might take two or three years, but but you and can that do is it. what they did with stories. So, isn't so it? Th yeah. that, same playbook. Exactly. Same playbook. Yeah. I, it, it's it's uh, eighty percent same playbook. You know, there is a difference that it's vertical video, but you know, but and it's sort of a bit less engaging. It's more like just you know real, real, real rather than touch and click and play. Uh, but it's a very similar playbook. Now coming back to price, I am very bullish on price. Um, why do I say that? Because and this is not just for Facebook. This is for any well-run ad tech platform. Is if you look at um, actually how, how do I put this? So if the, the way I explain it to CMOs of companies is I'll say, look, price inflation is going to be 20% a year, let's say, for Facebook and other platforms. So as a marketer, your job is to grow the ROI per ad uh, bought by at least 20% a year. Otherwise, the ROI in your marketing spend goes down. If that happens for a few years in a row, you can't afford to talk to consumers and your company goes bust. Um, so this is an existential thing for you. The good news, if you're a marketer, though, is there are dozens of levers to pull. So first of all, there's the stuff the platform's doing. The platforms are launching new ad formats. Typically, there's some opportunities for improvement in ROI. The platforms are launching new targeting. That typically improves ROI. You know, the platforms are improving platform functionality, improves ROI. But even on the advertiser side, you can gather more data, first party or third party. You can do better segmentation. You can do better personalization of ads. You can improve uh, click-through rate, you can improve conversion rate, you can improve lifetime value, you can re-engage lost customers. Every single one, of, and that's just a short list, every single one of those improves ROI. When you improve ROI, you're prepared to increase your bids. If you increase your bids and all your competitors do the same, pricing just went up. So I would be very comfortable saying that CPMs over the next year will probably at least double, and I wouldn't rule out tripling over the next, say, decade. Um, and if you think about what that means, just to sort of say, is this pie in the sky? Let's say right now for us in Q1, just for US, UK, Canada, which is where I've got my best data, CPMs on the newsfeed were about $16 US dollars. So if it tripled, what are you paying? You're paying $50 CPM. Now, $50 CPM means you're paying five cents per ad. Now, imagine that world in 10 years time where we every single ad we see is in a category we're thinking about buying with a brand we would consider at a price point we can afford that's in stock that has the creative types that we we are interested in there's probably all sorts of other social things too where your friends are nudging you and recommending stuff and other things like that too there's probably some ar or vr you know 
chatting with you about the product and tell you why it's awesome. Or if it's clothing, you can try on clothes on your avatar or whatever it might be. Five cents per ad. You show most people 10 ads like that and you just made a sale. That means you're paying 50 cents per sale. Yeah, that doesn't sound expensive compared to the cost of selling something in a physical store or, or even quite frankly, the cost of selling something now. So things like $50 CPMs aren't scary in a world in which all of that tech's come into place. Now, let me play devil's advocate just for a moment. Sure. <laughs> the advertising industry, uh, look, there is, there's... There's even more competition coming, though, isn't there? Uh, and yeah, it is yeah. in the form of streaming TV, Netflix, Disney Plus, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you, you touched on this earlier. It's taking share from broadcast and cable TV. Now, but that also means, you know, could we not see a, a flood of ad supply coming? Um, and then, of course, the question is, you know, is there enough demand to meet all of the supply? And why won't that mm-hmm. impact pricing over the longer term? So... Very good question. And I, and I do think that's a, a bit of a headwind. You know, it, it, the big one, you know, Netflix you know, is going to be serving ads. They said they're going to do it by the end of the year. Um, yeah, there's a lot of unknowns around how they will do that like what, and what percentage of their users will go for the free ad supported model and what ad load will they supply and what CBM. But <coughs> let's assume Netflix gets itself to five billion a year in ads, in, which is not impossible at all. Um, that would be a headwind, especially for other video platforms. Um, now, the biggest place they're going to suck money from is linear TV, which is dying anyway. And, and Netflix serving ads will just you know, accelerate the death of linear TV. Um, but beyond that, it will, could well hurt the YouTubes of the world, the trade desks, etc., because effectively that's the main place they'll take money. Could it have a minor sort of deflationary effect on platforms like Facebook? Maybe, but they're, they're mostly different worlds. You know, Netflix, I'm pretty sure, without seeing their strategy because they don't have it yet, you know, would be mostly branding ads, mostly the 15 and 30 second ads that we're used to on TV. Um, that is not a direct competitor with the likes of Facebook or Twitter, TikTok, you know, Snapchat, etc. So it's probably less, less effective uh, or less of a, a risk to the others. Um, so uh, one of the things I thought you were going to play devil's advocate, but I'll play it for you is you might say, but oh my God, if, you know, if, if media consumption flatlines or even goes up a bit um, and prices double or triple, that's kind of nutty. You're saying the industry will double or triple. A, I do believe that you know, that's not impossible. But B, there is a blurring going on between retail and media um, way more than ever before. So let's say, for example, um, Every social platform, including Facebook, is planning to sell stuff on the platform. In fact, Facebook does already. They've got Facebook shops and Instagram shops. It's very small right now, but it could easily be ramped. And they're actually starting to put pressure on that. Now, if that happens, they're not really taking the revenue they make from that. They're not really taking from the advertising pot. They're taking from the retail pot. They're basically destroy, they're destroying stores and e-commerce companies as opposed to fighting with you know TikTok or Snapchat. Um, and so if you think about all the money flowing through stores right now and carve out a big chunk and give it to social media instead, that suddenly redefines the market and the market boundaries change. Um, and, and I'll throw out a scenario, and this is definitely a scenario, not a forecast, which is I believe Instagram has earned the right to become the biggest fashion retailer in the world. Um, and if you think about how that could work, 
and this might be within Instagram, it might be a separate app called Instagram Shopping or Instagram Fashion or something like that, but could they build the virtual version of Oculus or Fifth Avenue or you know, pick whatever fancy shopping area you want in which you can literally wander in with purchase intent, you're thinking I need an outfit for Saturday night or I need an outfit for my vacation, whatever it might be, see lots of brands, you are your avatar, you're walking around as an avatar, possibly with your friend avatars with you, you're out there trying on clothes you can say, right, I like this dress. I'll try it with these shoes. I, I want to switch the dress from red to black or black to red. I'll, I'll share it with my friends. You know, does my bum look big in this kind of thing? Uh, yeah, you can try on a, a, a hat if you want to. You can change the backdrop to the venue that you're going to for that party. And, you know, effectively, you've just tr tried on, chosen an outfit, got approval from your friends, checked it will work with the venue you're going to all in a virtual world. Now, that doesn't, but it's not necessarily Instagram that's winning this. They're going to win this, but given their affinity with fashion and influencers, and given the amount of money they're going to spend on the metaverse, you know, if they don't win there, someone, a lot of people should get fired, quite frankly, because I think they are, they are in pole position to do something like that. If you then look at that and say, what does that mean for revenue? And, and the answer is, I don't know. But imagine if. 20, 30% of all fashion in the world was bought through Instagram and as a retailer, not as an advertiser. I mean, that's, that's dynamite. I mean, I think, you know, we could talk about this all day, but I, I mean, I think that suffice to say that the, you know, certainly sort of listening to you talk, the future or the next 10 years, let's call it, uh, the, the pie is mm. growing and the opportunity set is, is expanding. So it's almost hard to mm -hmm. pinpoint today what it will be like in 10 years time. Yeah, but I do. Yeah. Final question. I do want to bring it back to sort of the near term, um, just because it's sure. this is so it is topical right now. We know economic growth is slowing. Yeah. Um, and so the question is, I guess, just over the very near term, what does this mean for advertising budgets? Mm. You know, are there any insights you can share yeah. with us on expected ad spend over the rest of the year? You know, given yeah. uh, growth is slowing. Yeah. So we're it's definitely rough. You're absolutely right. So if I just take Facebook as an example. Um, yeah, we started this quarter forecasting 13% growth, uh, sorry, 19% growth. We're now forecasting 13. So it's like a six point drop in the last eight weeks. So yeah, the macroeconomic slowdown is rough. Uh, and, and by this down from Q1 was 19. So um, uh, we went from 19, we were forecasting another 19 and instead it's been 13. And we think the roughness will hang around for at least another quarter and maybe two more. Um, just just macroeconomics, you know, there are different verticals turning down for a whole load of different reasons. So, yeah, th there's a to try and summarize it because there's so much going on. Like we could spend a whole hour talking about by verticals. But at most of our advertisers saying in the last six, nine months, we've put prices up significantly more than inflation um, unit prices, maybe because of supply chain problems, makers of wages, whatever. In parallel, disposable incomes going down, less government handouts, higher price of fuel, etc. So you've got lower disposable income. With higher prices, the number of units we're going to sell is going to go down, you know, whatever that might be. Then to add to the pain for most of them, a higher percentage of household income is being spent on travel and leisure right now because everyone's, you know, frustrated after lockdown. Yeah, exactly. And so that's even less for the other categories. Um, so it will be rough for a while while we shake out into the new normal. So it, it, in my mind, there's a good two or three quarters, maybe more. Obviously, none of us know exactly how long this recession will last. What I would say, especially for Facebook, is we believe Facebook will get their growth rate back up again at some stage, whether it's three quarters out or four. For, there's one big reason, a bunch of small ones. The big one is 
they've got all this usage on reels and they're not monetizing very well, but they know how to monetize it. So they will. Um, so it will come back. You know, it's tricky to say is that six months or 12, but they will get that back. On top of that, there is an amazing innovation pipeline, uh, you know, which will also give them little nudges up here and there as well. But the big one is they've created inventory that they haven't monetized and they know how to monetize mm. it. And sorry, Ben, just one final uh, sort of add-on with that. Uh, growth is slowing, uh, but still growing, as you called out. Yeah. Uh, how do you see mm. uh, more broadly, I guess, uh, amongst the other platforms, are they having, uh, in a relative sense? Yeah. So um, of the platforms that we monitor closely with all our, our best data, uh, YouTube's the roughest. Uh, they are going to be, uh, their forecast is down 11 points versus what we forecast for the end of the quarter, mainly because they've got heavy, heavy exposure to brand spend. Uh, by the way, I think Google search will be okay, but so, but you know, they'll, they might offset each other. Um, then um, Snap is about the same as Facebook. You know, we dropped our forecast by about six points. So I'm talking about you know, performance versus expectations rather than versus each other. Uh, Twitter, slightly better, Pinterest, slightly better, but basically every single platform we've revised our forecast down for Q2 since the beginning of the quarter, uh, just because there's a lot of verticals just uh, trimming their spend. Uh, the, 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 the companies that are worst affected are the ones with heavy exposure to brand spend, because brand spend gets cut faster than performance spend, which is why YouTube's suffering, uh, and companies with exposure to uh, e-commerce, finance, um, uh, CPG are probably some of the ones that are turned down. The ones that are in a better shape are the ones exposed to travel, leisure and gaming, which seem to be holding up better. Ben, we could go on all day, but we have to wrap it up. Thanks for sharing your insights. No worries, a pleasure. That was Ben Legg providing us some very interesting insights into digital advertising and the companies including Meta and TikTok that are competing for ad spend. As you heard, it is looking to be a year of slower growth for digital advertising revenues, particularly those platforms over-indexed to retail due to the slowdown in economic activity and shifting consumption towards services. And specifically to Meta, the company is prioritising its battle with TikTok for time spent over revenue via pushing reels, which as we heard from Ben, monetizes at a meaningfully lower rate. Longer term, Ben paints a bullish outlook that digital advertising will grow as a percentage of GDP, and that technology will continue to improve around ad formats, targeting, and data gathering, which will lead to better ad personalization and higher return on ad spend. And this can ultimately drive digital ad pricing higher. He also argues media and digital advertising will ultimately blur with retail. Competition won't fade, but for now, Meta dominates thanks to its scale and more sophisticated ad technology, including superior targeting options, which other platforms haven't been able to replicate. And the company continues to develop its features to remain competitive. Whether or not Netflix or TikTok or an entirely new platform will be able to build as deep a profile on each subscriber as Meta remains to be seen. So some very interesting dynamics playing out that the Antipodes team will continue to monitor closely. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to this podcast and you can also keep up to date with our investment insights on Twitter, LinkedIn or at antipodes.com. Please remember this content is general information only. It is not advice of any kind and doesn't take into account your personal financial situation, objectives or needs. You should seek professional advice before making any financial decisions.